1: Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the ProfG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Sam Sanders, and you are listening to Into
2: It from Vulture. And I want to talk with you this episode about a TV show I am currently enjoying that should make absolutely no sense, and yet it does. It's called Mrs. Davis. It's on Peacock, and the premise is pretty wild. It's all about this omnipotent AI called Mrs. Davis. And it's taken over the entire world in a very good way. Basically, it talks to everyone, figures out what they want and need to be happy, and then Mrs. Davis finds a way to give it to them.
0: There is no famine or war. All who want a job have one. She has healed and united us and given purpose to the purposeless.
2: This AI seems perfect, and most people love it, but there's a resistance. And in the show, this resistance is led by a nun, played wonderfully by Betty Gilpin.
3: Is it talking to you right now?
2: She wants to be talking to you.
3: Well, I want to be left alone. And there is literally nothing it can do to change my mind about that. If this premise
2: alone isn't wild enough for you, it gets wilder. Jesus shows up. There's a search for the Holy Grail. And even more that I cannot tell you right now. This episode, we'll talk with the two creators of Mrs. Davis, Tara Hernandez and Damon Lindelof. I'm going to talk about how they made this very unhinged premise work so beautifully. And yes, I'm talking about that Damon Lindelof from Lost and The Leftovers and Watchmen. He will talk along with Tara about what it means to run a show and not run a show. Tara is the showrunner for Mrs. Davis, which means that Damon is kind of in the passenger seat for this one. Also, Damon's going to get really honest about his time running Lost and some of the regrets he has over the environment he was a part of on that show. All this to say, if you love good TV and hearing about how good TV is made, you will love this chat. Listeners, one quick note. We taped this interview before the Hollywood writer's strike began. So no strike talk in this chat. All right. With that, here's Tara Hernandez and Damon Lindelof. Enjoy. So to start, and this is for you, Tara, because I think it's from your childhood. Why Mrs. Davis? Why the name Mrs. Davis for the AI?
0: Uh, so, so as you just so beautifully described Mrs. Davis and her or its personality, which is this benevolent leader who we turn to in times when we're learning and trying to figure things out, but can also keep us in line and all those characteristics uh, we felt early on were sort of reflective of a teacher. And my teacher who had the most impact on my childhood was Mrs. Davis. Uh, she was my first and second grade teacher. And it felt that uh, it was common enough name where would also, uh, throughout making this show, many people have had, a lot of people have teachers of Mrs. Davis, but there's sort of warm fuzzies around that name.
2: Yeah. Describe Mrs. Davis for our listeners. I'm very curious.
0: She wasn't the warm, fuzzy teacher, magic school bus, Miss Frizzle. In my recollection, she still sort of treated us like adults, which young Tara very much wanted to be, like, <laughs> like an adult. And so, um, what I kind of say is, she she had very direct relationships with each student, and I think was able to kind of assess their needs. So. At one time she had told me that I was very intuitive and that I should always trust my intuition and that stuck with me. I think she told my brother that he only sees the world as glass half empty. (laughs) So again, it wasn't the warm fuzzy, but it sort of had this very like personal touch. So when we were looking at the identity of our app and just thinking that it can't just treat everybody equally, but like really individualized approach, she she came to mind. And I, I love her dearly to this day.
2: And so, I mean, in the show, the premise is that, like, Mrs. Davis, the AI, is trying to help everybody, and she's uniquely and specifically talking to everyone to help them find their true joy, right? Mm -hmm. And that is not really like most AI you see depicted on screen. Usually the AI is literally trying to kill us. Mrs. Davis ostensibly wants to make us happy. I want both of you to talk about why you took the AI character in this show in that direction, when it seems like no one else does that?
4: Um, that's a great question. And I think that we you always start from a place of what haven't we seen before. And I think that the idea of every time we see a story about AI, it only has one idea, and that is to destroy humanity. Sometimes mm-hmm. it enslaves us and turns us into batteries the human body generates more bioelectricity than a 120 volt battery and over 25,000 btus of body heat the machines had found all the energy they would ever need we felt like the idea that was perhaps a little bit even more frightening was what if it just wanted to make us happy Mm -hmm. and what does an ai even think happiness is and is that really in our best interests. And so uh, an algorithm that sort of viewed itself as benevolent, but just gave us what it thought we wanted, combined with stupidity, (laughs) because these things are not nearly as sophisticated as we think they are. Don't underestimate just how stupid this gets, sweetheart.
3: Oh, I won't, darling.
4: And so could we generate an AI that was the high-low? That is to say, it's read everything about humanity that exists on the internet and thusly sort of formed a basis for what it thinks humans are. But it's never been a human. It's not a real mm-hmm. boy. It hasn't had the experience of it doesn't know what pain is or what love is or what fear is or what cold is. Or what happiness is even. Or what happiness is.
2: There's a moment and I forget which character asked the AI, what is happy? And it's kind of like, yeah, it doesn't quite know. It's Simone. The nun.
3: Do you even know what happy is? Of course. I derive pleasure from the satisfaction of my users. Creating joy within others creates joy
0: within me.
4: It's like, I think this is what it is, but it's always like AIs use a flamethrower when a match will do. <laughs> They're very bad at subtlety. Um, and so that felt like it was a much more delightful a space to explore and that's why we went with it.
2: Yeah, what I love about the show is how it's melding two realms that you usually don't see in TV or movies together. So this AI is very sci-fi, very tech. And then there's a bunch of like Christian imagery and theology laid over it. You know what
3: wings are none? uh sort of It's like a status thing right like a blue check mark or black amex card you use it long enough it gives you wings right
2: wrong there are dummies out there that have done a thousand good deeds gone on every idiotic quest
0: it sends them on and they're no closer to the jackpot
2: and even in the way that the ai speaks to the characters in the show and speaks to us viewing she never speaks directly to us mrs davis always speaks through other people or other things. And that feels so Bible to me.
0: She'll speak to me through here, and then I'll just repeat whatever she says. So it'll feel like you're talking to me, but actually you're talking to her.
2: I was raised Pentecostal, and in the Old Testament, God never talks to you. God talks through the burning bush. God talks through the donkey. You can't even know what the sound of God is because it's too big for you, right? Was that purposely like, Bible shit. I don't. I, I don't know how else to say it.
4: <laughs> I just love that's so Bible. It should be a. Sh- it should be a show. Yes, so that's it's like that's Raven. so Raven, starring, a little bit starring Raven religious.
2: Simone. That's yeah. right. As as God, a thousand
4: percent. Yep, that's me. But yeah, like was that purposely like Bible? Yes. The, these decisions don't all get made at once, and obviously Tara and I, and mostly Tara. I think that the vision for the show is hers, but I think that. One of the really difficult things to find in L.A., you talk about having a diverse writer's room. We all know what diversity and inclusion look like. But I think that in terms of belief systems, it's very hard to find believers in Mm -hmm. in show business. And we were fortunate enough to... have a couple incredibly talented writers who were also believers who had a real knowledge of scripture. And so we would have conversations very often in the room about not just the Old Testament and the New Testament, but also the Quran. We talk a lot about Jesus for the obvious reasons in this show, because our main character is a nun, but even Muhammad got the word on the mountain, came down and said, here's what I was told, I'm going to start writing it down. And so this idea of God as a force that proxies was very much front of mind. And also this sort of idea of keeping it mysterious. I think that ultimately God's, a lot of God's power is derived from, I will answer the questions that I want to answer and I will ignore the questions that I don't, but don't you dare question me. Mm -hmm. Just, Just obey me. And Mrs. Davis is equally mysterious. There are moments in the show, certainly when our characters hear her voice, but the audience never does. And that it's left to the imagination as to what Mrs. Davis might sound like. Does Mrs. Davis even sound the same? to various users. There's no way for them to know because she's not broadcasting her voice over the loudspeakers.
2: Yeah. Was there a specific moment in the writer's room where one of the Christians in the room was like, well, actually, like, was there a moment you can like recall where it's like, I'm so glad you were here and knew this Bible?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, um, like Damon said, we are so fortunate. And when he uses the term believer, we purposely wanted to diversify. To and so, you know, one of our writers was Mormon. One of our writers is practicing Muslim and even non-believers are, are like scholars and had real mm-hmm. knowledge of, of the text. So really in our, our treatment of it, what we wanted to do was always come at it from Simone's point of view. And so since Simone is a nun, she is a bride of Christ. It had to be accurate to her point of view and her belief system, which the remainder of the season will kind of start to unpack a little bit and, and examine like what Simone's belief system is because she is someone who, um, has, we'll say, almost like cut the line. She's gotten a golden ticket. She has a relationship and a, a quite literal one yeah. with <laughs> Jesus Christ. So what, what does that mean? And, and he's what, hot. And he's hot. I mean, come on. Andy McQueen, <laughs> are you crazy?
2: Wherever you go, I will be there also.
0: It is something that was always interesting to us and always had to be lensed, despite you know where we fell on the spectrum of religion, spirituality, faith, that the show was finding Simone's voice always.
2: All right, listeners, quick break coming up. But before that, let me say, if you like this show, tell your friends in real life, subscribe and review us on your favorite podcast app, follow all the things, there's talk. That if we get to a certain number of recommendations or likes or reviews or whatever on some platform, we're going to have a public pizza party at a Chuck E. Cheese somewhere in Southern California, L.A. area. I will cover the bar tab for anyone who wants to join. I'm serious. I'm serious about this. Rate and review. And maybe one day you can meet me at Chuck E. Cheese. No lie. Okay. Travis, if you want to. I Don't, don't leave that in there. No. Or maybe you could. I'll, I'll go to Chuck E. Cheese. Fuck it.
1: You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work.
2: I've been watching and I'm like, oh, this is really refreshing. Like, I like seeing the Christian imagery in there. And like, I don't need television that is like telling me to worship Christ. But it is nice to see some of the religious touchstones I grew up with in a prestige show. And I feel like usually the kind of shows that get the awards and the buzz, they either ignore Christianity or they mock it. And Mrs. Davis is doing neither. It's 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 just kind of just, you know, having a good time with it in uh mm. in an interesting way. Why aren't more shows doing this? Most of America is in some way vaguely believer.
4: The the short answer is I don't know. And the slightly longer and more pretentious answer is I think for the reasons that you just identified, Sam, religion. And religious belief is viewed as radioactive mm-hmm. and divisive and dangerous mm-hmm. i think that the idea of like a show like seventh heaven which is sort of like devoutly kind of like um safe you know it's just a yeah. chocolate chip cookie uh, Yeah, is like oh, people go like oh that's a religious show but this idea that you you speak about where it's sort of like why is religion not more at the forefront of any prestige show considering it's such a significant part of what it means to be alive in the world, even in the year 2023. And so on a show like Friday night lights, which is set in Texas, you see that, you know, there are characters who become devoutly religious and that's just a representative of, of who people are. I think that there's a fear of getting it wrong. There's a fear of offending. There's a fear of proselytizing. And Mm -hmm. so this idea of One of the very first things that Tara said to me, and I think this might've even before she pitched the relationship between Simone and Jay, was this is a nun who is a real, her faith is like not gonna get shaken. This is Mm -hmm. not a losing her faith story. I really want to understand why a woman would choose this way of life in a contemporary era. And I don't wanna make fun of it. I wanna explore it in the same way that Sister Maria exists in sound of music, yeah. I, I don't want to make fun of it. And it was like, got it. Because I've been really interested in exploring belief and religion through a, a lot of my work in a slightly more dark and sometimes cynical or depressing way to do the same thing. Because I think that religion, for the most part, provides a lot of lift. Yeah, sure. There are dangers in terms of saying my way is the one true way. Chosenness is bad. But I think that so many people find community. And great, uh, like, sort of the welcoming energy in their faith based culture. And so I think that uh, movies and TV can probably do a much better job of trying to represent that as well without judgment.
2: For listeners who have watched and are caught up on the show so far, this won't be a surprise to you. But for those who have not watched Mrs. Davis yet, I don't know, cover your ears for 15 seconds. Um, we got to talk about this. Sister Simone is fucking Jesus the way you smell oh, please
3: don't
2: call me that a little bit. Wait, sorry it's just she, <laughs> you smell so good like that's happening and when i saw it start to happen my little texas christian stuff was like mm-hmm. oh they better not oh mm-hmm. they be- no you, no you can't and then it happens mm-hmm. and it's okay mm-hmm. and i'm wondering like how you strike that balance Because if anyone were to be offended by a non fucking Jesus, it would be this Pentecostal church kid whose mother was a Mm -hmm. church organist. And it worked for me. How did you get that right? Like, how did you talk all about religion in this show without like totally flipping off Christians who might be watching it?
0: Yeah. I mean, well, thank you for, for saying that. And it, you know, it's it's not
2: like for real. And like, I was like, (laughs) Oh, it's okay. It's okay.
0: (laughs) full pearl clutch on that. But I think you have to know that it always scares us. And when we sort of say our answers, it's not without like weeks and weeks of discussion. You know, we're able to like in these interviews sort of distill it down to like, here's a simple answer, but it's not without those days where like we're doing this and then you go home and you can't sleep because you think like, why are we doing this? And I'll (laughs) say on the one hand, getting to represent faith through Simone's lens and Jay in this way. I, I mean, I'll be quite honest. It is a bit wish fulfillment as well, because you're sort of saying this is how it would be so great. Like we have Mrs. Davis, this great benevolent algorithm that doesn't exist in life and that's wish fulfillment that we would get direction and purpose from using it. Um, so on the other hand, you know, we have this space that is we'll just say sex positive and that is um, love positive and a representative of that face saying, you know, I love all people. And um, so how do we do that? And again, lends it through Simone, which is this always wanted to feel like a marriage this always wanted to feel like it was going to go through all the stages of a relationship through the marriage construct. And, you know, it would have felt probably juvenile to attack it without sex involved. So how do we do so in a way to your point that doesn't Flip off the audience because that's never the intention. But honors that this is kind of scary, and we're gonna we're gonna tiptoe into it, but we're gonna do it bravely and beautifully. And I have to really give that to you know our performers, Betty Gilpin and Andy McQueen, who who treated it with all the care and love, and our director Olivia Jones of kind of that episode that that shows their marriage and shows their honeymoon, we'll say moment, and and just did it through such a beautifully lensed presentation that i think you do have people saying well you know that's nice and more beautiful
4: than, <laughs> and, <laughs> than hopefully. and, and yeah. i think i would just add that i was raised inside the jewish faith uh, the jewish mm-hmm. culture and the old testament and this is not a knock on judaism but the idea of love and love from god is not woven in to the culture it's crime
2: and punishment
4: <laughs> yes and so the new testament comes along uh, the sequel Uh, Or the the reboot, you know, Uh like, uh, and and that frame has a lot of love in it, particularly as it's lensed through God's only son. And so, this idea that Jesus loves you um, unconditionally, how do you dramatize that in Mm -hmm. a story? And Mm -hmm. Tara kind of was like, this is how. And I think that when you think about it as a romance, that's how we're going to sort of express that love. It flows both ways. It's not just Jesus loving you unconditionally, but also her loving him and ultimately Mm -hmm. having to deal with the reality that he's polyamorous, you know, (laughs) she's, you know, she Uh has, she doesn't want to think about it, but Jesus has this relationship with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I were
2: Jesus, I would
4: too. Of course. (laughs) Just because you won't acknowledge that I have other relationships, Simone, it doesn't mean that I don't have them. So that that provides a complexity to the relationship, something that she has to face and deal with, particularly as we come into the later episodes of the season. He's like, hey, I never hid it from you. But like, you know, um, when you're not in this falafel restaurant, there's other people here in this falafel restaurant.
2: (laughs) Take me back to the moment and tell me who did it. It was the first person to say, yeah, no, Sister Simone and Jesus are going to hook up. (laughs) Like, tell me the moment that that idea was first uttered. Was it in the writer's room? Was it in a text? Was it in a call? I want to know what happened when it was first even discussed.
0: I can't remember. Maybe Damon remembers this differently, like the one light bulb moment. And then it became, yes, we're doing that. Put it on the board. It was it was long discussed.
4: My my feeling, my recollection of it is it's a bit of a game of too far and not far enough, Mm. where I'll just be completely candid and say I'm kind of a prude when it comes to showing sex on television for a variety of reasons, but I Mm -hmm. but I sort of feel like it's gotta have real intention and purpose. And I think that what I recall is that the room was like, well, if they are having sex, we have to make it clear that they are and what we show and what we imply. And I think my recollection is, uh, again, what I say is like being in a writer's room is like throwing your body against a wall and then you die. And then there's just a dead body there at the base of the wall. And then somebody else goes and pretty much there's a pile of dead bodies. And then someone is able to climb it and like, say like, I got over the wall, but they're, <coughs> they're there because everybody else was willing to sacrifice themselves. And I think that in, in this sense, I do remember everybody in the room kind of weighing in and saying like, is there a way that we could get these eight people to agree that this is the best way to do it? And let's all posit that there is a way to uh, achieve a unanimous excitement without compromise. And it took a while. I want to talk
2: about the creative and professional relationship that you two have on this show. It seems a little unique and special. You know, two creatives sharing space in this way tell me specifically and distinctly what is y'all's relationship
4: on the show who's in charge of what who's the boss tara is unequivocally the boss yeah Um, and i think that that was very clear on both our sides from the jump now the most sort of generous assessment that i can give of my behavior in understanding that I wanted Tara to be the boss was that I was so used to being the boss hmm. on, on my three previous shows that it was a struggle at first to sort of be like, oh, no, Tara has given her ruling. We <laughs> are, There are no appeals here. And how comforting that was ultimately, because I think that had I co-created a show with someone that I had worked with in the past. That is to say, there were many, many talented writers that I worked with on Lost and the Leftovers and Watchmen. But we our dynamic was that I was in charge. Mm-hmm. And so had I suddenly worked with uh, the fact that Tara was a stranger, that we basically kind of like met on like a blind creative date. and then suddenly I was like, there's something about this woman and the way that she writes and the way that her mind works that I just trust is going mm-hmm. to work. And I also feel like show running conservatively is an 80 hour a week job. If you're Oof. doing it well, you, there are no days off. There are, there is no sleep. There are no Saturdays and Sundays. Mm. And so I, conservatively speaking, I think maybe in the early days when we were writing the pilot and mm-hmm. we're in the writer's room, we were investing you know, I was investing eighty percent of the time that Tara was, but once we were humming, for every hour that I spent working on Mrs. Davis, Tara spent five hours, and that's just what it—that's what it is. She's the one who woke up every morning and had to respond to fifty new emails that appeared while she was sleeping, and I got cc'd.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, Tara, what was it like? You're running the show. But you got this guy in the room who was like Damon Lindelof. Like, I I mean, how did you navigate it? And and be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a process and it was figuring it out. For me, I'd been a room writer. You know, I I started as a room writer. I like to think I'm a very loyal room writer, a writer on staff who is serving a showrunner. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was a steep learning curve because, you know, my job for almost a decade is... How about this idea? How about that idea? Okay. You want to go over here, here's something else. And it's almost volume of pitching as Damon describes the dead bodies. And so there's just kind of like a habit of like, what about this? What about that? And Damon's like, what about this? What about that? And like, Oh shit. Like I need to,
2: you got to say that I need to look
0: at all the, the, this and that's and say, okay, this is the direction we're going. And so that, that wasn't easy, but like Damon could, Could say like, what do you want to do? You're gonna have you're gonna have the final say here, and it's not without push and pull. It could come from, hey, from my experience running shows and like doing so very successfully. I've seen this not work for this many reasons, or just on a personal level, this is terrifying. You know, the the as we said, anything around Simone's faith and and the Jay character always comes with that. Like, this is scary to us. How do we figure that out? And any good creative relationship that I've ever been in has that push-pull, little bit of compromise. But I'm 51% of the vote and Damon's 49, so there I'm in you the go. majority.
1: <laughs> Fox Creative.
3: This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docuseries, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next
0: course.
2: You know, so much of the conversation around show running right now is how it needs to change. I think we consistently hear now that, like, it was rough in these rooms 10, 15, 20 years ago, five years ago. It was toxic in some of these spaces. And a lot of times these showrunners who were in many ways creative geniuses, they weren't managerial geniuses. And they didn't know how to just, like, tend to people. I wonder how both of you think about the changing expectation of a showrunner in that regard. Damon having run shows before, Tara, you know, running this show right now. It is a moment in which the spotlight is on a showrunner more than ever before, and they have to get it right in ways I think they weren't expected to 10 years ago.
4: I I just want to jump in first and make it very clear that I don't other those showrunners I was one of the people that you're describing I think what do you mean I mean that on law if you were in the writer's room on Lost the experience that you were having was was potent I can't speak for all the writers in the room but I know that many of them had a had an exp their mental health was not prioritized there was toxic uh misogynistic even racist language in those rooms because Mm. I allowed it to happen, Uh, like whether what I said or didn't say is not really important as much as like that was the culture. And just because it was happening 20 years ago is no excuse. I've tried to reach out to many of the people that I know were hurt by that culture, some of whom have accepted my apology and granted forgiveness and others of whom are completely within their rights to say, leave me alone. Um, and all I, all I can tell you is that I became aware of that behavior and tried to iterate forwards, uh, ultimately arriving at a point, you know, where I think that I'm 50 years old now. And part of the job is there's a finite amount of microphones and Mm. you have to put down the mic and let someone else pick it up. And, Mm. um, and if, and if you can use your experience to, um, like offer some. Uh, uh, guidance in terms of the mistakes that you made, but more importantly, like it's not too late for me to learn. And I think that the idea of I'm now the oldest person in the room by five or six years and that the youngers, they definitely do prioritize a work-life balance, mental health, um, uh, a feeling uh, in a very unsafe process, right? Cause creativity has to be unsafe because we're pitching ideas and thoughts that are very personal to us and the worst feeling in the world is to be passionate about an idea and for it to fall flat and Mm -hmm. that's the job but there are other parts where you can circle back where you can say that could have sounded like really harsh what i said in there that just was not happening at all i was not taught how to do that and now i'm learning Uh, the Mm -hmm. only way to learn is to not be running the show anymore so I I just feel like it's important for me to acknowledge that and to say, again, this was a learning process. All of us, we entered into this space, we were in a physical room with masks on for the first like five months of our writer's room. And it required a tremendous amount of learning and um, mistake making before we got to a place where I think that all of the writers who went wire to wire on Mrs. Davis would say, we care deeply for one another now, but boy, was it a journey to get there.
2: Mm. Tara, how was all of this informing you show running this show? You wrote for a lot of shows, a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, you're coming to show running in the midst of these larger conversations happening that Damon's, you know, talking about. What was your big picture approach to just doing this job on this show?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I came in with a gross amount of naivete because I had been in the room. I've seen success. I've seen failure, but um, it's, it's such an incredibly different job and it is so incredibly hard. It's because what you're being required to do and where you're needed extends far beyond the room. But I would say the safety of that room is so critical making sure that you have the systems in place to succeed just as a human being, having successful relationships and therapy or medication or whatever it is that helps you get by so that you can then support your room. Cause we're all scared and we're all terrified. And I think, that's just something that we would just never have talked about uh a decade ago, probably even in five years ago. And I've been fortunate to witness the transition. But yeah, I'm still I'm still absolutely learning. But um, the success of others and their their safety is your success. That's, yeah, that's the bottom yeah. line.
2: Yeah. Damon, I heard you when you're talking about lost and what folks have experienced there you're very forthcoming about what role you might've played in things and very forthcoming about wanting to make amends. But I'm wondering, like, have you made peace with whatever
4: that experience was? I'm not sure if peace is the goal. I think, Mm. um, like I, I think that I've become comfortable with the idea that I, I may not be worthy or deserving of peace. Like it's something that I just have to wrestle with. Again, Mm. I think, not to go back to what we were discussing earlier with the the, the beauty of Judaism uh, mm. uh, is this idea of like, it's about wrestling, it's not about winning, you know? And it's not about losing, it's about struggling. And I think that the idea of trying to reconcile, you know, do, do I, I don't wanna get to a place where I'm constantly depressed or I can't sleep, But but, but I also sort of understand that like, forgiveness is a thing that you can assign to a deity. It's something that you can assign to the people that you hurt. Uh, But most profoundly, it's the thing that you have to assign to yourself. And Mm. so I think this idea of like, I'm not really entirely in a place right now at this moment in my life where I'm like, I forgive all of the bad behavior that I've engaged in professionally. Um, I'm still trying to reconcile and understand it without um, without inflaming, without putting that on other people. Um, so it's not necessarily peace, but it is this sort of idea of like, it's okay to not be entirely okay with it. Um, Mm. and that, that's, that's a, that's a a weird bedfellow of peace, but like, I think that there was a time where it was very hot, you know, and now it's more lukewarm.
2: Mm. I know we got to wrap, I know we're time. Your PR folks are like, wrap this shit up. <laughs> but back to Mrs. Davis. Woo-hoo. If there is an omnipotent AI in our world, like let's say this year, and mm. she's like, I want to give you whatever you want to make you happy. What do y'all want? <laughs> Tara, then Damon. Wow.
0: Um, sensible gun laws. Okay. Yes. I mean sorry to go there but yeah. But it's fine.
2: <laughs> I'd be like Mrs. Davis just disappear all the guns. Disappear them. Yeah. Okay.
4: Damon. I think that that one's going to be hard to beat but I do I do wish that an algorithm existed that said like I'm going to give you 90 minutes on your phone a day. And then there's nothing, there's (laughs) There's nothing, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no hacks. There's no, you can't turn, you can't go back into screen time and say five minutes more. I want my mom and dad to take my phone away and like ground me because that, because it's way out of control. (laughs) It's way out of control.
2: That's Tara Hernandez and Damon Lindelof. Go watch their show, Mrs. Davis. It's streaming right now on Peacock. I guarantee you've probably never seen anything like it. It's good. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, Jelani Carter, and Taka Zinn. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hokeman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Listeners, we're back on Friday with a brand new episode. Till then, seriously, go watch Mrs. Davis.
1: What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself.